Isaiah 54.2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. We're going to read Acts, a portion of scripture from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now Acts chapter 4, a couple chapters later, starting in verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to, from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we pray that you'd strengthen us. Lord, that it would be evident today that we left stronger than when we came. And Lord, I pray this great family we have here will be a source of our strength. You created us to be in community. And I pray that we learn that today more than ever before. Thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. By the way, we had a great crowd first service. There's still more room in the first service than there is here. So, uh, if you don't like to be in community as much as everyone else, you can move to an emptier church service. How do you just right off the bat like to be around people? It's you're like you're a people person. You just love being around people. Okay, that's good. That, that's good news for the church. Because the rest of you are sweaty palms like, oh, is he going to preach too long? I want to get out of here. I, I like being around people. I like hearing people's stories. I was at a I was in Chantilly, Virginia yesterday at a car, um, a car parts place and uh, sat down and talked to a guy from Afghanistan. We talked for like three hours. Just fascinated finding out his story. He was, lived in Afghanistan until he's 14 and just, I mean, told me all kinds. I was like, really? And um, just a great guy. Matter of fact, uh, he was a Muslim guy and he said, he said uh, what sect are you from? And I was like, He's like, you know, what type of church? And I said, told him. And, and he said, I, I go to a church every now and then for, uh, in Northern Virginia. I think it's called, I forget the name of the church, but some famous people go there around D.C. And he was like, yeah, I like it. It's pretty cool. He's like, you know, you guys and me are like pretty far apart, but I like it. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, just keep going. So anyway, I like being around people. I, uh, I've said here before that if eleven o'clock comes up and I don't have somebody to go to lunch with, I'm like, you know, panic sets in. I'm like, I'm be that guy at lunch by myself, and it's gonna be weird. Everybody's gonna be looking at me. Um, God created us to be in community. One of the first things He thinks about when He creates Adam is that it's not good for him to be alone. 
that we were designed to be in community, that the church was designed around a community of people. That you find out at the beginning of Acts when the, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, the first thing they do is to really start solidifying the community. They start gathering together every day. Now, I don't know about you, but even I have my limits. I'm like, I like you at the house, but not maybe not every day. But it said they gathered together. They, they would go worship and they would gather together. They'd share everything. And if anybody had any needs, they would, they, they would come together as a community and meet the needs. It's just a beautiful picture of what happens when we, when we encounter Christ and then we understand his forgiveness and our relationship with him is meant to be played out in relationship with each other. It's, it's meant to be experienced together in a, in a community of believers that the common thing that we have together is not that we all believe the same thing, but that we all believe in the same person. And so, so what happens is we, we get to work all that out on the earth. And, um, and it, it poses its own problems, doesn't it? We'll get into that later. The Bible teaches us right from the very beginning that, a, that alone is not the way that you want to go about this thing. That you don't want to live your life alone and, and, and walk through life trying to do everything alone and trying to work out your salvation just, just by yourself. That, that this, the whole thing is, is meant to be experienced in community. Matter of fact, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm better with you than I am without you. And don't grit your teeth when you do it. Don't grit your teeth. Smile at them when you say it. I'm better with you than I am without you. Now look to the person. Now you, you might have, if you're married, you might have been, you might have been uh, inclined to look to your spouse. Now look to the person on the other side of you you may not know. And look at them and say it. The other person on the other side you may not say, look, look, bro, I'm better with you than I am without you. I don't even know you, but I think I'm better with you than without you. Go ahead and say that. Because that's where we get all freaked out. Like, I don't know what they believe. I don't know how they raise our kids. I don't know what they let them watch. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Now, I told the first service. You guys know how I read scripture. I'm like, there's some funny stuff in there. I'm a grown adult man. I'm going to have to be really cold for another big old hairy bearded man. I think at the, I think at this root, it's true. I think at the root of this, it's true, but I'm going to have to be really cold. You know, <laughs> I would like, look, Chris, your hands are falling off from frostbite. I know, but I ain't that cold yet. I ain't that cold yet. <laughs> if two would lie down together, they would keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The Bible is talking about an exponential return when you get together. That just the idea of adding a relationship could change the trajectory of your life. You could be fallen down into a pit, add a relationship, and you're, and you're delivered. You could be freezing to death, add a relationship, 
and you're not. You could, you could be at the risk of using your life at a relationship. Now you can defend each other. Then he says a cord of three strands is not equally easily broken. You, you exponentially increase the strength of a rope the more strands you weave into it. The, the idea here is that we were created to be strong together. Not alone. Um, any of you watch National Geographic or anything like that? First service doesn't watch anything fun. Um, uh, National Geographic. So I, I've had the privilege of being in the place where National Geographic was filmed. Uh, a lot of the things that they do in the Serengeti Plain. And, um, and, and I've seen um, herds of buffalo. Now, I'm not talking about buffalo like out in the Midwest. I'm talking about killer buffalo. It's one of the big five. In Africa, they are, they are an extremely dangerous animal. Uh, if, a wounded, if you wound a buffalo, it will not run away. It will stalk you and kill you as the person that wounded it. Uh, it's one of the most dangerous animals you can hunt. Because if you don't, if you don't drop it like that, it's not a deer. It will, it will stalk you and, and drive you into the ground. It will kill you. A full-grown male or female buffalo uh, will kill a lion. Lions do not attack full-grown male or female buffaloes. So what you see when you go there is you see these large herds of buffaloes. But what you see on the outside of the herd is all the big, bad dudes. You see the big, bad females. And they got these big old gnarly horns. Like the males have these thick, like super thick horns that come out and they curl up like this just in the right angle to grab a lion by the stomach and flip it. So what happens in the herd is as long as you stay in the middle of the herd, you're safe. As long as you stay in the middle, you're safe. Uh, I heard a guy talk this week about kind of multi-generational um, things. As a matter of fact, he gave a great description of the Assemblies of God as, a, as an institution, as a denomination. He said, he was comparing it to another denomination. He said, that denomination is like having, uh, you know, two college guys living together and they're, you know, they're like 20 years old and they're, they're rooming together and it's all fun. And, 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 and he said, the symbols of God is like those same two guys living together, but their dad lives with them. But one of their dads lives with them. And that's not a bad thing. Because what you find out is, I, I love that we're a multi-generational church. Amen. That you can... That you can be 40 years old and look 20 years up and still get some advice. That you can be 40 years old and look, look 30 years up and there's people here to still give you advice. I love that you can be 20 years old and look up and there's 40 year olds to get advice from. Because how many know that the worst place to possibly be is just in a, in a group of your peers trying to get advice? Maybe you're 16, you're like, dude, uh, oh man, my girl broke up with me. And he's like, yeah, mine did too. Like, what do you want to do? I don't know, let's get drunk. You know, that's terrible advice. Your parents wouldn't have said that to you, but you're not asking for you. You're just only asking. And then you're 20 years old, you're like, dude, I don't know. I don't want to go to class today. And your friend's like, yeah, I don't want to go to class either. And then you're both flunking out of college. My one friend that went to class, I was like, bro, here's my homework. <laughs> then you're 30 years old, and you're, and you're looking at your friend, and you're like, man, I hate this job. He's like, I hate it too. They're like, let's just quit. Yeah, let's quit. 
Then you're 40 years old and you're looking at your friend and, and you're like, man, I hate this job. He's like, I do too, but I got 15 years. Yeah, I do too. We'll just stay. We'll just be angry for the next 20 years. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. When, when we're getting advice from our peers, it doesn't always, they're in the same boat as we are. It's not good if you're asking advice from the same person in the boat that's sinking, right? Like, we need help. It's like, yeah. So the beautiful thing about a family is, is father figures, mothers, spiritual fathers and mothers, where you can go, man, I don't, 40 years old, I've been in a job 15 years, 20 years, I don't know what to do. And somebody that's 60, 70 years old can, can look down at you and say, what? man, here's the experience I've had. Don't be afraid to start something. Don't be afraid to go out. Don't be afraid to try. Don't, you know, maybe, maybe you could... And all of a sudden, somebody that's older than you can enlighten you to something different. It's called a family. It's called community. It doesn't say all the cords have to be the same age. It just says when you weave the cords together that it makes it strong. And so I love the fact that this church has really young people in it and really old people in it. (laughs) It's beautiful to be able to look up and say, Man, they've been married 50 years. I've been married 21. I want it to look like that when it's 50. How do I get there? I I sit in front of older people as much as I possibly can and say, how do I not become that person? How how can I become this person? And they go, well, Chris. So what happens is in community, we're made stronger together. In community, we can provide for each other. In community, we can protect each other. In community, we are protected. There's strength in numbers, right? There's strength in numbers. You know, you, you say something to me, it may just be me, but all my homies come with me. You ain't gonna run your mouth too much, right? Remember that? You always felt more bold when there was a bunch of guys around you, didn't you? It's like, I'll run your mouth now. I got all my friends with me. So what happens is there's strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. We're better together than we are apart. Two is good, but three is better. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the the formation of the church, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. And in chapter 4, it says they shared everything they have. It, it It was this context of now we have this relationship with Christ, and the way it's played out is that we share, like God shared his grace with us through Christ, now we're going to share with each other. So the way it plays out in community is that we support each other, love each other, we share things with you. Man, you need something, you come to my house and get it. Doors open. I ain't going to tell you where I live, but. <laughs> and you need a chainsaw, come to my house. You need money, go to. <laughs> See how it works? They were. It even said some of them sold property to supply the needs of others. This is a radical way to live. It's the idea that what's mine is yours and yours is mine and, and we have all things in common. And the fact that we, the, 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 the thing that puts us together is that we love Christ, what Christ has done for me causes me to love you in a family way. That's, that's how the old church, you know, brother, sister, right? Brother Jones. Now, now what happened was we saw, the, we saw some of the underbelly of that. And we didn't like it when people would call each other brother and sister and then chew each other up for lunch. 
But one of Jesus' most important prayers he ever prayed was that he said, let them be one as you and I are one. He said, man, if they could work this family thing out, if they could work this community thing out, nothing could stop them. If they could be strong together, if they could strengthen themselves together, then nothing on this planet could stop them. Matter of fact, in, at the beginning of Acts, it says, and God added to their number daily those that are being saved. It was this community that, that gave, him, gave him favor with people and, and, and attracted people. Man, people can love each other like that where they're supplying each other's needs and they, they're not even related. This is unbelievable. And it created a wonderful picture of Christ and how he sacrificed for us. And how he died for us. And now we can sacrifice for each other. You need something? Man, I, I got it. But I want to cover a couple things. In case you think the New Testament church was all kumbaya sitting around the thing and nobody worked and everybody just shared each other's food. And there was problems. There was problems. Pretty early on. Because you know as well as I do, your family can irritate you sometimes. Am I correct about that? Don't raise any hands. Don't raise any hands. But if in order for my in order for my wife to love me, if the prerequisite for her to agree with me on everything, it would be a beautiful thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this would be heaven. It'd be like perfect. We would not be married today. If the prerequisite for her to love me was for her to agree with me on everything, there's no way we could have a relationship because it'll never happen. So, so here's the thing. We think when we walk into the church and we become part of the family, all the disagreements just go away. All the problems just go away. When what actually happens is we come in and we start rubbing up against somebody and we start going, oh, they don't think like I think. They don't even actually believe like I believe. They don't actually live their, they don't actually conduct their family like I would conduct my family. And we start forgetting that the thing that binds us together is Christ. And we start thinking that our agreement on how we live our lives has to bind us together. So what happens is we start becoming abrasive to each other. And then what happens when we start offending each other, right? Don't you love it when you're offended at church, you can't even cuss? Like offended at church, you got to be all nice about the offense. We're like, brother, I just don't agree with you. And if I was at work, I'd let you have it, right? The issue is right off the bat, the beginning, there, there was, there, people started rubbing each other wrong. The, at, the, at, the, at the pretty early on, they'd, they'd go in the, to celebrate the Lord's Supper and people would be getting drunk and eating before other people were even served and, and all this, this, this kind of rubbing each other the wrong way like they, it didn't seem like they were sharing as much anymore i'm gonna get mine and i'm gonna get a lot of it before anybody else gets and, and they got to figure out a way to deal with that there was there was there in the first century church there was friction over actually what they believed and how they would act and and paul and peter had a confrontation about like hey do, this is what it is man we gotta we gotta have it out to figure out figure out what we're gonna believe in the direction of the church and and there was things like Paul and Barnabas, where, where they had a, a, a common person in the relationship, John Mark, and it was, it, John Mark did some stuff Paul, Paul didn't like, and he's like, I'm not taking him, and, and Barnabas said, I'll take him, and, and they're having a disagreement, and they're trying to figure it all out in the context of family. So here's my guarantee to you. 
You come to Christ, you become part of the family of God, and people are still going to get on your nerves. They're still going to disagree with you, even when you're right, which I know you are all the time, or you wouldn't defend that stupid position you have, right? They're still going to offend you. They're still going to disagree with you. They're still going to argue with you. They're still going to rub you the wrong way. They're still going to do things you don't like. It's called family. I was thinking, I was thinking uh, about how I do this with my parents. Um, man, growing up, you took your shoes off when you walked in the door. We might have lived in a single wide trailer, but it was spotless. And you're taking your shoes off when you come in the door. Don't cost you no money to take your shoes off. So I got a little old, like I'm 41 years old. Tell me, take my shoes off. <laughs> so what I started, what I what I figured out, I do, is that is that I'm starting to assert myself. I'm gonna wear my shoes in my mother's house. See if anybody says anything. I started thinking. I started thinking. Is that the way to honor? My parents is to not take my shoes off in their house because I'm 41 years old. I'll do what I want. I don't take my shoes off in my house because it's my house. I'll sleep in my shoes if I want to. <laughs> so the issue becomes what happens when these things rub up against each other? What happens when we, when we, when we get into a place where, where we don't agree? I was on the radio a couple months ago, and right after the uh, church shooting in Texas, and, and the guy was asking me, about, I said, one of the things that the church has to make sure we do is that we love people past their opinions. That you matter more to me than your opinion about something matters to me. You matter more to me than your political opinion. Uh-huh. You matter more than me than, than the way you think your family should be raised. You matter more to me than, the, than, than what job. You matter more to me than the way you think. Because we mattered more to God than the way we think. While we were sinners. While we had no capability to think about anything righteous, God died for us. And so what we do is we preface everything. We preface our relationship. Well, well if you think the way I think, then we can have a relationship here. No, no, no. God sought a relationship with us before we could even think right. We didn't have the ability to think righteously. We didn't have the ability to think like God. We didn't have the ability of the Holy Spirit in us causing us to think a certain way. And he said, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to be in the relationship. Mm, that's different, isn't it? We go, well, they can't do that. The Apostle Paul was great at this. He wrote in a letter to the Corinthians of how he pulls this off. One of the things we oftentimes have to do is we have to make ourselves be part of the family. We have to make ourselves be part of the family, don't we? Like you may walk in one day, all oh, these people are crazy. But God put me here, so I'm going to force my way in. And I'm going to just love people. Watch what Paul says. Because at the end of the day, is it about you or is it about the family? Because don't you get, don't they get on your nerves when the one family member always makes it all about them? <laughs> You're like, they don't care about anybody else in the family. It's all about what they want. 
Thanksgiving's always got to be when they want it. Ah, now I'm getting to some of you. Got to go to their house again. Watch what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Though I am free, I belong to no... Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He said, I'll put my opinion aside and I'll join into the family to win people, to strengthen people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. So those under the law became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I may save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. You know, at the end of the day, it's not about what I think. It's about how can I keep the family strong. It's about just take your stupid shoes off. It's about, it's about the family is more important than my stand. It's about, I don't have to agree with everybody to get along. It's that I've, I've realized that there's a place and time for me to say, I'm sorry. Oh, now you just checked out. I still got some time. It's about forgiving each other. It's about, it's about saying, The family protecting each other and strengthening each other is more important than me being right all the time. It's more important. And so what happens is, is we come into the church, we've got Christ in common, then we start rubbing up against each other. We're like, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. Now watch what happens with the buffalo. There are lions everywhere. Uh, When I was in Masai Mare, we saw probably 10, 12 lines that we actually saw. And the crazy part about a lion is you could be driving down a road in Masai Mara and look over and not see anything but grass, look over, boom, there's a lion. You're like, whoa, I'm glad I wasn't having to go to the bathroom right there. That would have been a bad spot. <laughs> Literally, we're driving down the road, look over the side, and there's three, fem- there's three lionesses laying in a ditch, just laying there. And uh, you wouldn't otherwise known it. You could have been just walking down the road And been snatched up just like that. So what happens in a herd of buffalo is the lions never attack the strong ones. They never attack. They never attack the big mama standing on the outside going, you ain't getting in here. They never attack the big bull going, hey, man, you're crazy. They always attack the one that's kind of pushed out by themselves. They always attack the weak one. They always attack the one, the young one who's out. Now, here's the problem. What Satan tries to do to us is he tries to convince us that the problem inside is worse than the threat of the lion. He always tries to convince us that the problem inside the family, inside the herd, is more dangerous than facing the lion. Well, here's, here's, a, here's an eye-opener for you. Buffalo don't eat meat. I've never, I've never seen a buffalo walk around eating another buffalo. They're vegetarians. I've never seen a lion eating grass. Come on, work with me here. So what we'll do is we'll let Satan convince us 
that the vegetarians in the herd are more dangerous than the meat eater outside. And can I say this to you? Lions never give grace. When they're hungry, they're hungry. And if you're meat, you're meat. So there's no like, oh, they're a, just a nice, weak, little buffalo. I'm just going to let them pass. Nope. That's a nice, little, weak lunch. That's what they look at. And so what happens is we always let Satan convince us that the abrasiveness that we experience in the family, that the disagreements we have in the family, that the roughness that sometimes comes in the family, that the arguments we have in the family are worse than the threat of the lion outside. And it's never true. Because Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's really good at it. And he's lurking outside of the family, just walking around, walking around, going, man, when there's a chink in the armor, when there's a, when there's a break in the, when the, in the old guard, when they're not protecting, when they're not looking, and a sick little one gets out, lunchtime. And what happens is the family has to convince the people to say, no, 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 it's not worth leaving, I'm telling you, I know the lion looks cuddly. Told me a story when uh, we were in this little Toyota van with the top that pops up, and and you can say I'm, I'm literally four feet from a lioness who just gorged herself on a some type of antelope. I've got my iPhone down here. I'm going, are you kidding me? And I'm filming it, and literally the only distance between me and her was like the windshield of the of the of the little van we're in. Like I'm leaning over the front like this, and she's right there. And the guy told me a story. He said, one time, he said, that's the most dangerous thing out here. That thing is, I know it doesn't look like it. I know they look cuddly laying over there. He said, a guy got out of the van one time and thought, man, just want to get a little closer. And he said the lion turned on him and he ran to jump back in the van. And as he was jumping, the lion grabbed him, gave him a little love tap on the rear end. You know what I'm saying? I think the guy got out, but he left a part of himself in Africa. <laughs> so, so the issue is if we're going to strengthen ourselves as a church, we've got to realize that in the, in the family is where the strengthening happens. Like if, if, we, if, we, if we let the irritation and all that stuff push us outside of the herd, it's danger all day, all night. There's no let up. The lion is seeking to kill. The lion's going to eat. So how do we deal with that? When the lion doesn't look that big, people will distance themselves when the problem in the group looks bigger than the threat outside the group. Here's what I found over the years, that there is no chance of grace if you leave. I tell people that, that are on the verge of thinking they're going to get divorced, and, and they're just, and I said, listen, if you, if you end it right now, you will not know if God's grace actually is real or not. The only way we can experience grace is in the relationship. The only way we experience grace with Christ is in the relationship. Because you matter if every time you messed up, you were just like, dude, I'm done with this. I'm not doing it anymore. And, but we don't. We ask for forgiveness. And what does he give? He gives grace. And he forgives us. 
So that plays out in our relationships, in our, in our community. And we say, hey, listen, it's not about, it's not about, it's about forgiveness and it's about grace. But when you walk out, there's no grace with the lion. The, the only grace we can experience is in the community. And if we quit early, if we leave early, if we, if we end the relationships, then what happens is we never learn to experience it. So here's, here's the deal. We are raising a generation of people that don't actually know what grace means. Because we're all, because, oh, I'm going to get sidetracked on this. I can feel it already. Here's what happens with social media. I can end it as quick as I began it. There's no connection. There's no lasting, constant trust and, and all those things that make a relationship what it is. So we're raising a generation that goes, I don't, I don't like what you just did. I'm done. I can unfollow you in a second. I don't like your political view. I don't like your, I don't like your, your view on mathematics. I don't know what it is. I don't like, I just don't like what you're saying. And so boom, I'm done. So what happens is we're raising a generation that will never experience what your grace and forgiveness looks like because it takes you staying to experience it. The herd of buffalo don't go, Hey man, you're rubbing everybody wrong. Kick them out. No, they're not getting out because the big daddies are all around it. The big mamas are all around. They're like, you're not going anywhere. There's lines out there, stupid. Get back in the group. (laughs) Experience forgiveness. Come on. That's why it's so beneficial to have older people in the church that can say, hey, listen, I've been here a long time. People are going to get irritated. People are going to get upset. You forgive each other. Get on with it. Make it happen. I've been here long enough to experience the whole cycle. Don't freak out and act like you're the only one that's ever walked through this. People are looking at me. So? Stand up here with me. They look at me every week. I'm like, stop looking at me. When we rub each other wrong, we say things to each other that, we, that, that, that cause each other to be hurt. Yeah, it does hurt. It was wrong. Forgive and ask for forgiveness so that we can strengthen ourselves in the community and the lion never has a chance. See, my fear is that the herd gives a lion too many chances. Because the people that rub us the wrong way, we tend to push them. Oh, there's really not a place for them here because, you know, I mean, you know how they are. Not a place for them here. We got to. And what happens is the community ends up pushing them, pushing them. And we inadvertently feed the lion. Well, here's, here's what I want to let you know about wild animals. If you keep giving them food, they'll keep following you around. They're not stupid. My cat will follow you right to the cat bowl. It'll wake up at 6. It'll wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, somebody kill that thing. I don't say that. I'm like, somebody help it out. You get up. You start walking. It's right behind you. Right to the laundry, right to the laundry room. And then I look at his bowl and then I walk away. I'm like, ha, ah, sucker. No, um, <laughs> no, I don't do that very often. So what happens is, what happens is the more, the more we excommunicate people because they rub us the wrong way, the more we feed the lion, the more he chases us. You keep it in the, keep it in the herd. We're strengthened. We're better together. We're stronger together. You keep it in. We learn to forgive and apologize and all those things. Satan does it two ways. 
disagreements. Ephesians 4, 2 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you. Let's practice this for the beginning of 2018. Just go ahead and forgive them. It's a lot less bloody than sending them out to the lions. Just go ahead and forgive them. Go ahead and say, I forgive you. Let's practice this. Go ahead and say, I'm sorry. Let's start there because that's harder than forgiving. Just go ahead and say, I'm sorry. Just go ahead and apologize. Start out with the health of the herd more important than the health of the single person, more important than the ego of the single person. Just go ahead and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, and say, I forgive you. And watch what happens. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. You experience it when you stay. You experience it when you stay in the herd. Because a lion eats you when you go out. The band would come. I'm going to cover one more thing. This is... I've been in this church 20 years. I've been on staff 17 years. I've seen this over and over and over and over again. And it crushes me every time it happens. Sometimes we excommunicate ourselves. Now listen to me. Here's how it happens. Remember when it says, remember the writer of Ecclesiastes says, if there's two of you and one of you falls in a pit, If there's somebody else there, they can lift you up. If there's two of you and one of you gets cold, you can snuggle together. And you won't be cold anymore. So here's what happens. If the pit I fell into was my own fault and my own sin, sometimes I'm too embarrassed to stick a hand up and get help. And so I excommunicate myself. What happens in the church and what grieves me to the core is when we make mistakes and then we think the mistake we've made is more dangerous than the lion outside. And I'm here to tell you this morning that grace and mercy for the mistakes we make as human beings is available in the community. Amen? So watch this. Watch what James says. James chapter 5. Put it up on the screen. James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now watch this. Now James was actually saying there's some people sick because of sin. How many of know stress because of sin can keep you sick? We can only cover it up so long. It'll make you sick to death. So watch this. We read this And we make the wrong context for it. We read it in the context of hierarchy. If I confess my sin to someone who's not sinning, right? If I'm confessing my sin, I'm confessing it upwards to someone who's better than me. Hey, listen, man, I'm sinning. This is what I did this week, and uh, I don't don't know how to deal with it. I need your help. And it's always in the context of, of us looking up to somebody when we confess. Oh, now they know. It's always like looking, like I'm looking up at you and I'm confessing my sin to you and you're better than me. We always look at it in that context. The context James is talking about is that I confess my sin to you, you confess your sin to me. We're on the same level. Jesus is the only priest we need. 
Amen? So it's not a confession up, it's a confession horizontally. So I'm confessing to you, you're confessing to me, and we're realizing, you tell me what's going on, and I go, man, I need the same grace you do. Here's what's going on in my life. And so we confess to each other, and then it says you lay hands on each other and pray, and guess what? The community heals themselves. Heals themselves. The community strengthens themselves in the process. It's not about confessing up and down and and you shouldn't be acting like that. You shouldn't be doing that. You know better than that. No, it's saying, I started doing this with my kids. Hey, you did something wrong, but you know what? Dad needs the same grace and mercy you do. Let's go ask forgiveness together. (laughs) It's revolutionary because before I was putting myself as the up top and him the down low. And now all of a sudden we're on the same plane. Look, I mess up as much as you do. My mom just ain't standing over my shoulder yelling at me over it. I'm still around here to yell over my kid. I'm I'm still in the house with him. When you're an adult, your parents just aren't yelling at you anymore. So what I'm trying to make my kids understand is it's not this you're confessing up to me. It's that we're doing the James thing. We're confessing to each other still. Now, I'm not playing video games too long, but I still sin. So it's like, hey, hey, there's a commonality here. We're in a relationship and the whole Jesus thing is what forgives us. And so we can confess our sins to one another in a safe environment. We can pray for each other and be healed, be redeemed, be restored. And so the whole thing is, if one of us leaves the relationship, there's nobody to confess it to. There's no give and take. There's, you're outside. And so what I've seen over and over is I'll, 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 I'll do the thing. I'm guilty. And because of that, I'll back out, I'll back out, I'll back out, I'll back out, I'll back out. Oh, I, you know, be, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it anymore, I can't do it anymore. And then all of a sudden, bang, the lion's waiting, the lion's waiting to snatch him up, the lion's waiting. And my prayer is, is that the body of Christ will be such a community that sin can be confessed to one another. Hey man, I know what you're going through, I've been there before. Let's pray, let's get forgiveness, let's do this together. And that healing can take place and strengthening can take place. Amen? Reconciliation is the most beautiful thing on the planet. It is. The ability for people in a family to get on each other's nerves, screw up, lie about each other's sin, do all kinds of crazy things, and the ability for us to come back together and forgive each other. And cover it with the blood of Christ and experience God's goodness in our life together. It twists a cord of string that nothing can break. You can't separate us. They know things about me nobody else knows. And they've forgiven me for it. You can't separate us. We've been through hell and high water together. I dug that guy out of a pit and he dug me out of a pit. There's no way you're going to come between us. We know each other better than you know all of us. So, so there's no chance you're getting in here. We're a community. We're a family. And we're going to strengthen ourselves. We're going to do this this year. Amen? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? God, I pray that this morning. God, that you begin to strengthen our ties together. Lord, that this community, this community would not be easily penetrated by a lion, Lord. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we're putting up a wall around this community where we're not letting people out. 
we're not going to we're not going to push people out because they disagree. We're not going to push people out because of sin. God, we're going to forgive and restore and redeem. God, we're going to give the same grace and mercy that you put on us. We're going to strengthen ourselves, God, to accomplish all that you've called us to do. Lord, we pray as we are one, as you, as Christ and the Father are one, we pray that we would be just like that. And we pray that you add to our number daily. We pray that this relationship thing that we have here on earth would if with each other it would mirror your relationship and I pray that it would draw people I pray that real genuine love for one another would draw people I pray that we share and give and supply and support Lord and pray for each other I pray that this would be a community like no other I pray that we'd experience grace and mercy just the way you designed it I pray that you do it today Lord for the person that just walked in here this morning I pray God, that they know you maybe for the first time. I pray that they dedicate their lives to you. I pray that they'd experience your forgiveness and grace. This morning, I pray that they become a part of this family. Strengthen them today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you give him praise this morning? He's worthy of it. Amen.